0: Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room, and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to
1: therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John second skin underwear
3: Welcome to the Rest is Politics Question Time with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Anastasia Campbell. So I'm going to start off with a question from Neil Garner, which is quite interesting. He says, surely it's completely understandable that a PM has private health insurance and that they'd not need to wait for an appointment. Why is the need for Rishi to avoid the question? What exactly does he gain? Surely it makes it a bigger issue. And here's Ian on the same thing. Sunak's been getting grief for refusing to say if he uses private health care. But if an individual can afford to go private for care and it frees up a space on the NHS, is that a bad thing? Why is it such a bad thing
0: if he can afford to pay for it? I thought it was a very, very bizarre thing that he... Because he, Margaret Thatcher, about whom we talked a fair bit with in our interview with Michael Heseltine, out soon, um, she was asked the same thing and she said, yes, I do. And I think Suna was just worried about this whole sort of out of touch thing. I think you know, people would have understood if he'd have said... I've always had private health care. I've always used private health care, but it doesn't mean I don't support the National Health Service. He could have done that.
3: And do you think, how about the argument in this, this question that came in from Ian, which is that you could almost argue that you're relieving pressure on the NHS?
0: I, I don't like that argument because I think that is one of the arguments that they, they use to undermine the National Health Service by stealth. Um, I, somebody sent me this week a wonderful quote from Nye Bevan uh, in his book, In Place of, in Place of Fear. And this was, this was five years into the existence of the National Health Service. And Bevan wrote, expenditure exceeded the estimates by large amounts. And Mr. Churchill, with his usual lack of restraint, plunged into the attack. In this, he showed less insight than his colleagues who watched his antics with increasing alarm. They knew the service was already popular with the people. If the service could be killed, they wouldn't mind, but they would wish it done more stealthily and in such a fashion that they would not appear to have the responsibility. And I would argue within this that Churchill is the sort of hard right Mm. of the Tory party. Let's smash the NHS. And the government is being pretty stealthy about the whole thing. So so we had a question from Alice Hornby, who's a doctor. And he wanted to ask you, he said, I'm a doctor. I've moved to Australia. I'm treated with respect. I have a good salary and a good lifestyle. Can you tell me why I should come back to the UK? It's tough. It's tough. A lot of doctors are going to Australia.
3: And it's been true, actually, I think for a number of years now. I mean, it is tough. And I think you, you get the same with teachers, get the same with a lot of
0: people. But doctors always used to be seen as kind of pillars of the community mm. and respected. And The other thing I read this week is that um, a brain surgeon, a newly qualified brain surgeon, after 10 years of training yeah. is earning £24 an hour. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, <laughs> that's unsustainable. No, it's amazing. Amazing. So, so why would somebody stay? Yeah, when they can and go so we we and make much money And, well. and the yeah. real problem at the moment is workforce. Brexit's exacerbated it. Pay is exacerbating it. And I, I just, I can't see what the government's strategy is. And this idea that is sort of, you know, Keir Star was running this line about plaster, putting the plaster on. I mean, if they do decide that the solution to this pay dispute is a one-off payment, how is that going to resolve anything?
3: I'm with you. Okay, here's Hans G from Discord. So Discord... And certainly for those of you uh, listening, it's our new app where you get to debate and argue with us, uh, connected to the rest of his politics. Um, So Hansjit's coming from Discord and he said, if we banned private schools, as Alistair suggests, how would we deal with the issues it brings, such as more kids in the state sector, but no equivalent increase in funding? Ideologically, I'm against them, but I want to know how you get rid of them without creating more problems. He also asked, would you still allow overseas students to attend by paying? So the idea there is, Labour's going around saying that if you took away, for example, the VAT on schools, you'd save 1.4 billion. But many of the head teachers I talked to in smaller private schools around the country, you know, some of the ex-grammar schools that became private schools, schools charging 10, 12,000 pounds a year, parents on middle income say the school will have to close. We put 20% up on those salaries and all those kids are going to find themselves back in the state sector. Mm. And so that money that you made, the 1.4 million you made by the VAT on private schools, then has to be used to pay for the kids going back into the state
0: sector? I mean, look, I, I've always said, I, I think those countries that have next to no private education sector, like Canada, like Finland, they're always up there at the top. And I think the re- one of the reasons for that is that everybody feels a sense of belonging to a state education system. And I think that because of our history, because of our culture... I might like to think there were never going to be private schools, but I think that is isn't even for me a total pipe dream. So I've never actually he slightly misrepresented my position. However, at the moment, the state is subsidising private schools. Yeah. Now, is that a good use
3: of state money? Well, it, when if, if, you if it's could, saving the state the money on educating uh, them in the state sector, why yes. don't
0: we? Why don't we use that argument in relation to the health service then? Do are, do we think that it's a good thing? for people to leave the National Health Service. Because I think what you do when that happens, it loses its political power. You have half a million kids in private schools in the UK. You have 8 million kids who are in state schools. Because so many of the powerful people in the country and the opinion formers are in this private sector, I think you lose a lot of that political power that you would have if we all felt a sense of commitment to and ownership of. Yeah. Sector. Strong, and I just think it's unfair that three – Rishi Sunak – okay, I won't personalise it, but those who use the top private schools are basically saying, my kids deserve to have three times more spent on their education than the people who are actually responsible as the prime minister or the education secretary. And I just think that's wrong. So,
3: I, I think the, the only thing, though, that in the debate sometimes gets lost is that this question about putting 20% tax on – um, private schools isn't going to affect the kind of Etons and the Winchesters this world with these super wealthy parents paying these very yeah, high but school but fees. Why do they get any benefits at all? The schools the schools that will be wiped out are going to be the small cathedral choir schools, the ex-grammar schools, <sighs> the sorts of private schools that I've seen in the north of England where people sort of sort of private schools that you see around Birmingham where people are paying £10,000, £15,000 okay. a year. Those schools will all close. Okay, You um, won't get rid of the Eatons this way.
0: But why should... Okay, you made it about Eaton, not me. Why should Eton qualify for any public subsidy at all? It's got 40... we no, no. It's got 40 I'm with you on that. It's got cricket pitches. I think
3: it's much more difficult... To defend the tax exemption on these super wealthy schools, right, so I can agree more. But why well, do we it start really, with that? Because I don't
0: think that's a policy. I think it's a workable policy. Why You'd am- either
3: put it on all the schools, or you put it on none of the schools. Well, well,
0: that's a very convenient way of saying you put it on none.
3: Well, at the moment, I would argue the reason why you put it on none is that you'll end up with a lot of pressure on the state sector if you end up closing a lot of private schools. And I would argue, and you don't the, have the capacity. And I moment. would
0: argue that the political power and the necessity to develop the state sector in a way that it is being developed in countries that are being better educated than we are would improve if that happened. I can understand that. Let's take a quick break on that and come
3: back in a second.
1: Elevate every morning with Tommy John Second Skin Underwear.
0: Hello, welcome back to the Rest is Politics Question Time with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. And um, before we get into the second half proper, fabulous to see over 1,300 members of the Rest is Politics Plus on our new chat room on the website Discord. Now, I've got to be honest, Rory, because I'm technologically so, so challenged, I tried to get in and I couldn't, but somebody's going to give me a, a tutorial. I think you and I should occasionally my, go my, in there my, and have my, a chat.
3: My mother, whose age I'm not allowed to say on the podcast, is using Discord. And, you know, she's, she was enough a contemporary of Michael Heseltine to be able to see him in his glory in the Oxford Union. She's on Discord. Okay, I'll get there. I will, I will get there. I will get there. Um, so there's a channel on Discord already dedicated entirely to language learning, which is real a reason for you
0: to get in there. I totally agree love that. I do love that. And, and I saw a survey recently from the British Council. Uh, which was all about how the damage that we we're doing to ourselves as a country by just going backwards, ever further backwards, in relation to, to the learning of foreign languages. Well, Here's one, Rory. Yep. I'm going to admit a mistake of the last Labour government. No, How rarely do I do this? Very rarely. Right, well, I think getting rid of a compulsory language teaching was a
3: bad thing. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Now, if you're interested in joining, just head to restispolitics.com to sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus and get the Discord invite in your welcome email if you're already a member you should have had an invite last week and any problems just send a message to RestlessPolitics at gmail.com okay Alistair here is a question you just talked about language learning from Fintan Lalor what's your view of Prime Minister Sunak's plan to bring maths in for the full duration of UK pre-university education what other subjects should be taught throughout the entirety of education
0: I mean who's going to teach this maths we haven't got enough maths teachers now I mean, I honestly thought that was one of the most bizarre New Year announcements I can ever remember. That was that was what he came back and If, to if you could Year get with.
3: enough teachers, do you think it's a good I, idea? I th-
0: I certainly think it's a good idea to to make people more numerate. Um, but maths to everybody must so, 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 you know, just not just one thing to um
3: very rare for us to do this, but. Praise the Conservative government. One of the things they've done well, since, me since, do. since 2010 <laughs> is that we have actually moved significantly up the rankings on maths and numeracy, the comparative international rankings, eight, nine points up on these pizza rankings. We're now leading the pack just below the kind of stars like Japan and South Korea,
0: mm-hmm.
3: getting closer within touching okay. distance of Finland and Sweden. That's quite an achievement yeah. since 2010. Well,
0: listen, I'm all in favour of our kids leaving school or going to, going to college and university better educated across the field. Uh, Whether I would pick out maths as the the universal priority for all, I'm not sure. Right, here we are. Rory, what is, somebody just says, Megan. I don't think it's that Megan. I'm assuming it's not that Megan. But it does say, what's happening to Rory's movie? What is this movie about?
3: Yeah, so Brad Pitt brought the rights to my life. Yeah. But this was back in 2008. Yeah. Before I became an MP, when I was a slightly more interesting, glamorous figure than I am today. Okay. Uh, and then he paid me, he paid my life rights, paid me for a number of years. But then basically I became a Conservative MP and he decided I was no longer a sexy subject for a movie. But anymore. does he still own the rights to your life? No, I've got the, the rights back You've again. You've got them back. I've got them back again. <laughs> I've got my life back again. Was he thinking about playing you? Actually, very interesting. Orlando Bloom wanted to play me and oh. came up to see me in Scotland Water. And you remember Orlando Bloom vaguely? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he seems like an elf in the Lord of the Rings. Um, And I was going, obviously, very strongly for Danny DeVito.
0: I'm I'm aware of your absolute obsession with with, with Danny DeVito. Okay,
3: does Keir Starmer's this is Mark Holtzok, refusal to rejoin the European single market, risk Labour failing to win a majority at the next election? I'm in a Red Wall constituency and my vote is going elsewhere at the next election because of this.
0: Well, he's not alone. I know that um and i i do understand why labor don't want to make the next election all about brexit but i think that this business of being more catholic than the pope or trying to appear to be more catholic than the pope we talked about the take back control yeah, bill yeah. which was a way of trying to sort of wrap yeah. devolution in a brexit flag um i was uh, the, recently swimming and there's a there's lots of people who i know who go swimming and some to some of them I know want to talk about politics. Lots of them don't. There's so one it's guy
3: freezingly cold. How do you talk
0: cold? about politics? You're in the water for about
3: ninety seconds. Oh, it's, it's the it's showers,
0: showers, the showers, that's showers that's it's where the conversation. The showers. That's where the conversation. <laughs> and sometimes the sauna, or. <laughs> I don't think
3: I want to visit you in the sauna. Talking anyway, about
0: yeah. well, this guy who I've never heard him express a political view, and I've never forced my political views upon him. There's the people there who like to talk about politics. People who don't, and he just volunteered to me the other day. He said. um, what do you think about Keir Starmer? I said, I think he's doing a good job. And I think, I hope he'll be the next prime minister. And he said, well, I can't vote for him. I said, why not? It's just because of this Brexit thing. Uh, and th- so I, I think there are people like that who think that they want a grown up conversation. I hope people listen to the conversation we have about with Michael Heseltine, because I think on the Europe point, it is so important to our future. And we're not having a grown up conversation about how we fix the mess. So um, listen, it's not going to lose him in the election. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it helps if you lose a, even a small part of a constituency because they think you're not facing up to one of the biggest challenges the country
3: faces. Very good. Um, so here's a question about from Bryony e. Burnham. I'd like to know your thoughts on the regime in Iran and the resistance young women are showing after years of being dictated to about their clothing, lifestyles and personal freedoms. Are we about to see change in Iran or devastation? I'll put in my penny worth then hand to you so we can finish. So I think this is very, very serious. There has never been a time since the revolution when so many moderate Iranians are so desperately against the regime. And the big change has been the change from the opposition, which would have been talking 10, 15 years ago about reform to just saying we want to get rid of the whole regime entirely. Mm. And the level of repression, the level of anger, the level of resistance that brave women are showing by removing their headscarves in the streets Now, whether that's the end of the regime, I mean, I still remain convinced looking at Myanmar and others, it's remarkable how brutal regimes can last much longer than anyone can imagine. But there's no doubt they have lost the support of the entire educated urban population in a way they haven't before.
0: I think the other thing that's that's hopeful is that despite the repression and the barbarism and the killings, there's a lot of killings going on, hangings, that the resistance keeps rising up and keeps coming up in some pretty surprising quarters as well. Um, so those those people, particularly the women, but they are unbelievably rave. And probably, back to our old problem, the news media moves on, don't get the recognition they deserve, don't get the international support they deserve. But I think probably the fact that they just keep going gives us grounds to be a little bit hopeful. Good. Okay, Rory, let's hold it there. Gives us the chance to give everyone a quick taste of our new podcast which we've called The Rest is Politics Leading. We've decided to put all our new interviews into one place. We have lined up a whole variety of people, uh, some in politics, some not in politics. Not going on The Rest is Politics because, as people have already heard, they're not all going to be politicians. Podcast is going to be released weekly on Mondays until we run out of people to interview, but I guess we never will.
3: Very good. Well, looking forward to it very much. So our first ever guest on The Rest is Politics Leading is?
0: First up is Michael Heseltine, former Deputy Prime Minister, a man who's been around for many, many decades, a big, big beast in the British political scene and a major part of the rise and fall of Margaret Thatcher, our first guest, Lord Heseltine.
3: We're facing strikes at the moment, train strikes, NHS strikes, potentially teacher strikes. Do you think that Rishi Sunak and the Conservative government is doing the right thing and trying to hold the line against the unions and not increase wages, or would you be making
4: more concessions? No, I, I think that Rishi has brought um, uh, sanity back to British politics. It's a very interesting contrast. I think I understand what, he, what he's doing, and I, I, I respect it. We've had a roller coaster, and (laughs) you use quite dramatic language, if you like, uh, about recent prime ministers. But what I think Rishi has said is, look, we've really got to do some hard grind on these big, big issues. And that means sitting in number 10 with people who understand and working out the details and bringing back the changes that are needed And that's all rather boring, because what people want is someone flying all over the place and waving a flag or jumping in and out of a tank. He doesn't seem to be doing that, though.
0: He doesn't seem to me to have a plan either.
4: Ah, well, this is is, uh, where we will see because he's got five plans. And in his interview with Laura Koonsberg, I think he repeated them at least six times. I think
0: he thought he was doing a clip when he was actually meant to be doing well, a half-hour no, interview. But,
4: but you, you, as a genius of the, of the PR political world, would have said to him, Rishi, you've got five points, keep repeating them. No, keep I wouldn't. Keep repeating them. No, I wouldn't.
0: No, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. There's a but difference would... between repeating yourself and saying the, making the same point. Well, I, but I, don't... I don't think a plan for the country came over in that interview or in his speech. Uh, Well, it it, it did
4: come over in the sense that he had thought about the issues, he had thought about what people were concerned about, and he was trying to identify with people's concerns, which Mm -hmm. I suspect he did, that people heard all these points and uh, said, right, he knows what he's doing. Now, what I would expect to see him do is to start trying to say, month by month, these are the ways in which the things I promised you are happening. Where we haven't yet seen, and maybe that's because he's not that sort of person, where's the vision? Where's the language? Where's the rhetoric? Where's the high ground? And he's helped, of course, because uh, his opponent hasn't much skill in that direction either. Um, What what would your advice be to him dealing
3: with RMT and train strikes at the moment? Or indeed, NHS strikes,
4: nurses? Well, I think that... In a sense, it's what he's saying. He and, and I would, if I was advising him, I would say, "Look, let's be upfront. You're talking about honesty in politics now. Let's be honest. Here is a guy who spent extraordinary sums of money, of taxpayers' money, borrowed money, in order to combat the most horrendous threat which COVID was, and now looks less of a threat, but at the time." completely unpredictable and with the most awful consequences. And Rishi, first of all, provided the cash to deal with COVID, but produced enormous sums of money to subsidize the the people's jobs. And he he, he should be upfront about that. This is what I spent. Of course, it's part of our problem today. And there's a price to pay, and all of us are going to pay it. And, And I wish it was otherwise, but I would not have changed anything I did produce the circumstances we've got. We've now got inflation. And of course, I can say what people are saying, give a bit more, give a bit less. But this is never one-off. Every time you give something to someone, someone else says, they got it, I want it. And so the inflationary pressures build on themselves. And the only alternative is an element of sacrifice. But
0: then it's about who makes the sacrifice. About who makes, yes. Yeah, and and that, I think, is where, at least when you were doing what you were doing, And you were, for example, doing the stuff that you were doing in regeneration in Liverpool. And you could go up there as a bit of a Tory toff and people (laughs) would like you and you were given the freedom of the city and all that stuff. And you did deliver something for those people. I don't see in Rishi Sunak somebody who has a sense of who those people are, the lives that they lead and the challenges that they face. And that's what came through to me from that interview, was a guy who doesn't understand people's lives.
4: You see, this is the advantage of hindsight. When I did the things I did, starting in London, not Liverpool, no one believed that I knew what I was doing. Mm. When, Well, I can tell you, when I was in Liverpool, I'll never forget someone on the streets uh, shouting, give us jobs, not trees, because I'd given them a garden festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so it, the, the only benefit I, I've had, and I'm very proud of it, is years later. And this is, I mean, we haven't talked about regeneration, but there is no short-term fix for regeneration. It's a long-term grind uh, with certain very clear objectives. Um, and, and so Rishi can take comfort from the thought that he's begun to articulate what he wants to try and achieve. If it works, then he'll get the credit. And he, he's short of time. Let's be frank, the general election not very
0: far away. You voted Lib Dem in the European elections, as did I. You got you lost the whip. I got kicked out of the party. You can't vote in the general election because you're a member of the House of Lords. But what, I'm, I'm assuming you're now back in the fold. And with Johnson gone and Trust gone, you will you would vote Tory. No, no, no I lost the whip because I voted
4: for Parliament to be given the last say on Brexit. And three weeks after I lost the whip, the government decided that was what they were going to do. It's a policy anyway. It's yeah. a policy yeah. anyway. And that, curious enough, my first revolt on the Conservative Party, which was in the 60s, was over the race relations legislation. Wilson, I think, Wilson legislation. You abstained. Uh, and uh, my party, three weeks later, came round to what I'd done. Obviously, the time when you were losing the
3: whip was was also the time when um, Boris Johnson effectively threw out of Parliament Ken Clarke, Nicholas Soames, Philip Hammond, and all these people. Um, Do you think that was a change in British politics? Can you imagine a previous Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, Jim Callaghan, throwing out such senior figures from the party for voting against them?
4: Uh, well, I haven't done a search to find out what penalties Margaret applied in in given the circumstances. Well, he not only took the whiff away, he took the whiff away immediately before a general
3: election. So they were unable to...
0: to she she also again. liked having arguments. Margaret? Yeah. yeah so she loved that, having arguments, whereas I don't think Johnson does. But, but curious enough, Margaret, that was
4: one of her... She started here. You know, you know, foreigners. We don't like foreigners.
0: Europe. We don't like all that. For those who are, for our listeners, Mr. Heseltine was Lord Heseltine. Michael was punching his gut there. She started in the gut. Yes, that's yes, quite right. But but
4: when you talked to Margaret and you argued with her, you could persuade her, mm. and that, of course, is one of Margaret's greatest achievements. Without any shadow of doubt, is the single European market. Mm. Uh, people, the ignorance in this country as to what goes on in Europe. British civil servants queue up to fly to Brussels to be part of the machine. And Margaret was not prepared, quite rightly, to let the French and Germans fix the single market, like they fixed the common agricultural policy when we kept away. So she sent Arthur Cofield there to fix it for Britain, quite rightly, and brilliantly j- j- did he achieve it. Um, so the idea that there are all these nameless foreigners out there, they're all Brits or French or Germans or whatever it may now, be.
0: R- Rory, by taking us down the path you took us there, you allowed Michael to avoid my question about whether he would vote Conservative in the next election if he had a vote. Well, I don't have a vote. I know you don't have a <laughs> vote. That's why I said, if you had a vote, would you vote Conservative? Would you urge people to vote Conservative in the next election, given what's happened in the last decade? It would be difficult for me. I'm a member of the party.
4: It's a very important point. They took the whip away, but they don't mind taking my money. And (laughs) so so, uh, I deliberately give money to the Scots Conservatives because they're actually pro-European. And uh, so my conscience is absolutely clear. But the question, the real question for me is, do you leave the party and leave the field? Or do you stay and fight? And my position is clear. I am a conservative. You cannot be more conservative in record or conviction in a lifetime than me. And so I'm not prepared to be silenced within the party. If the party wants to move its policies, that's up to it. But they're not going to make me change my fundamental but Where ways. does that
0: leave you in terms of if somebody comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with what to do with my vote in the next election, I respect you as a human being and as a political figure, my politics are very similar to you, who do you think I should vote for? What do you say to them?
4: Well, I get this so often every day. Exactly. That's so my what, problem. So what do you, you say? I mean, I could na- I'm not going to, but I could name you a great swathe of my friends, even my family, who are saying just that to me.
0: And what do you say to them?
4: <sighs> I think probably... I <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say to them, because I don't really know what the conservative platform is going to be. But, but equally, it's very difficult to see how I could vote for somebody else.
0: Let's hold it there. Search for the rest is politics leading in the description to this episode. Well, there we are. Thank you. See you soon.